Welcome back to Home Design Chat with Nancy, and I am your host, Nancy Hugo. If you're remodeling or building a new home, you don't want to miss these podcasts. Well, today is September 10th. We're almost to Christmas. I'm counting the days. Today, we have Joe Zazera with us. He is the owner of Plant Solutions, the perfect plant place in Scottsdale. Say that fast 10 times. Hey, Joe, thanks for joining me today. Nancy, uh, so thank you so much for having me back. I always enjoy this. Well, I had a lot of questions for you about plants, especially since now it's September. And um, one of the main questions is, because it's been so hot throughout the whole United States, not just in Arizona where we are, but everybody had extreme temperatures all over. Um, how did that impact the indoor plants in homes and offices? We can't just say now, oh, in Arizona, we have it hot. It's been crazy all over the country. Yeah, it's crazy hot. Um, you know, uh, obviously the worst part has been, you know, the outdoor plants and how they, the roots have been boiling in these concrete pots that sit outside of people's homes. But indoor, it, it kind of depends on, you know, a few things. One is, the, you know, if it's a, if someone who owns a second home, typically they're gone for the summer. Their air conditioning is set at higher temperatures and plants tend to dry up quicker. Um, so always, you know, if possible, the best thing is to keep, you know, temperatures at a fairly stable level. I mean, indoor, most indoor plants are tropical plants. And so most of them will survive between, say, 65 and 85 degrees pretty well. Um, you start getting above 90, 95, they dry out quicker, they tend to fry quicker. And uh, and add to that, if they're in direct sunlight in, inside with the drying out, um, they will, you know, they'll fail sooner. Uh, uh, so so the best thing I can say about that is to, if it's possible, to keep a nice, even indoor temperature in the summer. Like, you know, just like we're plants, tropical plants are a bit like people. They like to have this sort of temperature range where they're comfortable. Yeah. Well, what if you have a plant on a windowsill? Now, this happened to me. I thought, wow, the, the glass is hot. Does that mean that this poor plant is getting more heat than if I put it somewhere else? It wasn't getting direct sun, but the heat from the glass might have been affecting it. Is that crazy or what? No, absolutely. That's uh, that's something uh, you'll see often. We see this in offices a lot where they may have a plant or a palm in a conference room that's next to a window and the, the foliage is touching a window. Technician will come in and sure, sure enough, the, you know, the plant leaves are, are burned. So if it's a little bit of a struggle in that, you know, you know, most plants that you put on windowsills, you put them there because they like the light or they need the light, but you definitely have to get them out of the heat in a way. But, but, but when you do move them, try to move them to somewhere where there's good filtered light. doesn't have to be direct sunlight. doesn't have to be, uh, doesn't even have to be in the sun, but, uh, but if it's in a room or a location where, where the lighting is, uh, is pretty good in the daytime, that's great. So how would you gauge good filtered light? Would it be enough light to read a book or something a little bit more? Um, I think the, well, that's, a, that's a good way to say it, uh, enough to read a book. I think that it's more than if you're in a room that has no windows with lights on or, or even, you know, if you're in a, your, say if your living room is in the center of the house and you have windows on the outside where you have, might have a dining room and a kitchen and all that, Um so the nearer the the, the nearer the uh, the windows you can get, the better the, the better uh, the better your plants will do. Okay. So so defining filter light, um, 
it, it, it's a tough one. I mean, I know it to see it <laughs> and it's brighter than normal indoor light, but not as bright as being right next to a window. I think that's a, a touchy thing. Is my plant getting enough light without getting too much light? How do you gauge that? Should I get a light meter? I mean, after a while, it can drive yourself crazy. Um, but you mentioned if there's a room without windows or because it's so hot in Arizona, a lot of people keep their drapes and their blinds closed. Are there plants that can survive in dark or I don't want to say pure dark, but, you know, without light? There are plants that are much more forgiving. You know, there's a whole list of low light plants that will do fairly well for periods of time in uh, in light in no light or low light environments. You know, the the zamiacla, the zizi plant is a good plant. Any of the Sansevieria families are good plants. Many of the aglaonema plants are good plants for that darker environment. In fact, we have often, again, in corporate offices. Uh, where they might, you know, they leave for the weekend, they turn the air off, they turn the lights off, they close up the blinds, all that. So we have a, so when we, when we're, when we're meeting with a client, we're talking about those things. What are, what are the conditions of your environment and what do we need to prepare for in selecting your plants? If we know we're going to have a day or two days that, you know, the air is going to be warmer, the light is going to be lower. We need to plan for that by selecting the right plants. So the plants like the Sansevieria can survive without air conditioning on in an office? Well, surprisingly, we here in Arizona, even uh, a lot of these restaurants, we have sense of areas on their patios. Now, they can't be, you know, they have to be shaded. They can't be in direct full Western sun. So they're typically down on the ground, maybe next to a table or maybe in a little niche area that's that's lower, has a lower amount of direct sunlight. Um, but yes, the, they, they'll do they'll do fairly well, again, for a limited period of time. I wouldn't, if it's a day or two, you could probably get away with it. If it's more than that, you're going to, you know, over time, it's just going to struggle. Mm. You know, so for those yeah. people who uh, don't know what Sansevieria is, the common name is mother-in-law's tongue or snake right. plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I know that it's gotten to be real popular in the contemporary setting. Yes. Will that plant survive if you plant it in the ground under a shaded area? I've seen them. Uh, I I have seen them uh, in that situation. Long term, I don't know that I've seen them really super successful. Um, but I have. But yes, I've seen that done. And when I say super successful, I don't see them like in a full on growth mode where they're just growing and populating and putting out yeah. new pups all over. I've seen them planted in the ground where uh, they look well. They look nice enough and they're stable enough, but over time, they're not really doing a lot of growth. They're not. How can you tell when a plant's not happy? <laughs> well, it depends on the plant, but often uh, you'll have uh, leaf spotting or the plants will lay down or the plants will curl uh, or you'll have lots of, uh, it's typical, first of all, it's typical for plants to, to get yellow leaves and for you to pull yellow leaves off and depending on the watering cycle and that sort of thing. A lot of times we'll get calls that, oh, I you know, my plant's dying and we go out there, they have one yellow leaf that just needs to be picked off. Uh, many people think you know, the, 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 you know, I mean, plants are a living, obviously a living thing. And so they're going to go through these cycles where they, I tell people, it's like, it's like losing hair. They're going to lose leaves just like you lose hair, but they grow back. And so when you, when you only pull these dead leaves off, it just, you know, helps promote new growth. You know, we have a list of uh, questions here, but I'm not even going to go by those because every time you say something, I think of another question. Oh, great. I, so I love this. If a plant has a yellow leaf, <laughs> Will it ever get green again, or is it just like pick it off and forget about it? It's garbage. 
Not the I, whole plant. I'm talking about the yellow leaves. Right. Typically, when a, I'm thinking of a golden pothos, for example, which is one of the most common plants in the world. When a, when a golden pothos has a yellow leaf, it will never come back. You just need to pull that leaf off and move on. Um, and uh, now that's a different. That's different than if a plant becomes chlorotic. So this, you take the same pothos and you put it in an extremely high light environment, direct say direct sun in a window. And it will be it will get very yellow, and that's because uh, the chlorophyll is getting zapped out of the uh, out of the uh, plant, you know, from the from the sunlight. So in those cases, you know, a good fertilizer can help green up, you know, uh, can help regreen the plant. But typically, if you're having chlorosis, it's more than likely because you have that plant in too high light environment. So we're saying, I have a plant, and every once in a while, I pick off the yellow leaf, throw it away. And yeah, that's fine. It's not growing faster than the leaves that I'm taking off, so it's starting to get very sparse. But that's yeah. that's my well, problem. Let, okay. Well, let, well, while you're there, let me just say this about about root development. So, roots in a, roots need to go looking for water. If roots, if the root system, if the roots are always sitting in moisture, is always you know you're with, you know just sopping wet all the time, the roots don't have to do anything. They just sit there and they rot and they they start rotting and then the plant is done. However, if you let a plant go very dry, the roots wake up and go, hey, wait, we're thirsty. We got to do something. So they they start searching out the moisture within the root ball or the, within the you know the pot and the root ball itself mm -hmm. and when they of course then they reach the water and they or the moisture and then they that they develop so at, think about what happens as the roots develop so does the top part of the plant so many times if you're if your plant is not becoming fuller if you're not growing um many times it's, it's because of that because maybe there's too much water or not enough drainage mm -hmm. well and, and as you as you probably know the number one plant killer uh, in the world is overwatering, right? Uh, yeah. It's too much love, too yeah. much love. So like I said, every time you say something, I think of another question. Is it better to water a plant from the bottom or the top? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, and let's because explain you can do... that. If the pot okay. is in a dish, that's right. what I'm talking about, versus, right. and let's face it, it has to drain somewhere to right. when you, of course. So, so two things. If the plant is small enough, the very best way to water it is to set it in your kitchen sink, water it, let the water run through it, let it, you know, let it sit for a minute, water it again, let let it run through it again, and let it drain, and then put it back to wherever, you know, wherever you have it placed. Um, because uh, otherwise, if you overwater the plant, it, it, the feet of we call it the feet of the plant. The feet of the plant are sitting in the tray of water, and the and it's just sucking. The plant is sucking all that water. To capillary action back up into the plant. Many times there are salts uh, in uh, in the and maybe over fertilizing in the soil mass itself. And when you water the plant, it comes out the bottom in the tray. The tray the the, the plant eventually sucks that back up. It's sucking all those all those uh, uh, you know all the uh, salts back up into this uh, soil uh, the root ball. And that's when you'll start getting leaf spotting and it starts seeing damage on your leaves. So I'm always of the I always advocate that whenever you can water a plant and let it drain and get it out um, to do that. Obviously, on these bigger plants, you can't do that because you can't just take a you know a 17 inch nursery pot and set it in your sink very easily. Um, so it's a little more it, it's a the watering amount is a little more critical with the bigger plants. 
Oh, talking about big plants, then say the ficus, which I know is very picky. I mean, you can sneeze and that thing loses leaves. What is the best way to prevent leaf loss and how do you water a ficus? So, first of all, there are many types of ficus trees, but when when most people think of the ficus benjamina, which is a small leaf plant, Mm -hmm. and they actually do much better on patios than they do inside. Um, and as and as far as leaf loss, when you think of a when you get a brand new ficus from the grower, it's going to be just full of leaves through the interior canopy and the exterior canopy, and it's natural, especially when you move it into a little bit lower light. It's natural for the inner canopy to defoliate, and many people panic over that, but that's part of the process and the acclimatization process of bringing the plant inside. So you're going to lose a certain percentage uh, of foliage, um, but. But to, if you're gonna, if you want to try and avoid that again, the you know the better the light for the ficus, the, the less likely you are, or the fewer leaves that you'll lose uh, along the way. But if it's on the patio, should it be under covering? Or yes, because it shouldn't have direct sunlight, right? No, no, it should not have. It should be, uh, you know, yes, sheltered under a uh, patio cover, and uh, yes. And the cool thing about the ficus, that ficus benjamina, anyway, is that I've seen them def- just totally defoliate. You put them out on the patio and they come back just brilliantly. You know, they do, they, they were, although they're picky and finicky, they are very responsive when you work with them. Okay. And should they have the pot in a dish so that when you water it, it drains out? Because obviously you can't put a tree in your kitchen sink. Right, right. Um, so ideally you you would water it and either empty the tray once the water flows through um, you know, or you would not have a tray and let the water flow through the nursery pot out onto wherever it's sitting. What we don't like, obviously, about um, doing that on patios is it creates water stains on patios. So you see this at restaurants a lot where you see they they don't want to stain the patio, so they put a saucer on it, and then whoever's doing the extra watering the extra overfills the saucer, so then the saucer overfills, and it's all over the patio, and then you start seeing all the salt builds up, so it gets really ugly. <laughs> it's yeah. my point. So it's so it's a bit of a challenge just to stay on top of all those things. Mm-hmm. I've seen the uh, ficus benjamina planted in the ground. Mm-hmm. by the front door of a covered foyer area, outside foyer area. Yeah. And yeah. That, it seemed to be doing really well. Yeah. Well, they will acclimate to where they are over time. I mean, you know, plants. So, so as an example, when we, um, we buy our tropical plants for our projects, the, the plants that we buy are grown by growers, either Florida, Hawaii, um, or California. But, 90 days prior to them releasing the plants to us, they start uh, decreasing the amount of light that that plant is living under. It's called the acclimatization process. So they they acclimatize these plants for us so that we can then take them and immediately put them into an indoor environment and have them survive. If we took a plant from a grower that has not acclimated the plant properly and put it inside, it's almost guaranteed to defoliate very quickly. And this is one of my... um, I guess concerns about some of the when you see real discounted plants in certain discount stores that you know they, they're to me they're too cheap because they probably didn't do the proper acclimatization to get them so they sell them cheap people think they're cheap you know they look they look great in the store you bring them home and people go well it fell apart why did it fall apart and, and many times it's not the the purchaser's fault many times it's just the the plant was maybe not 
properly acclimated for mm. where they're putting it. So. I got a whole list of questions, but first I want to talk about monogram. Monogram is great appliances, and I talk about this every week. You should really learn about monogram's appliances if you're planning on remodeling your kitchen or replacing some of the existing appliances. They have smart appliances. They have, they brought uh, into the marketplace, the appliances with gold finishes, which is very popular right now, the gold and black, unbelievable. You see that all over. And so I would suggest that you go to monogram.com to learn more about their appliances. But also, if you're in the market for buying appliances, you've got to go to a showroom that has a working kitchen so that you can try these appliances, just like a bed. You don't want to Buy something, get it home, and then have buyer's remorse. You want to ask all the questions. You want to try it out. Make sure that it fits in your budget, fits in your kitchen, and that you're going to use it. So try it um, Try it before you buy it. Go to monogram.com and learn more about their appliances. Well, all my other questions. One of them was, what would you say is the uh, easiest plant to grow with the least amount of attention that it needs inside? Oh, uh, well, um, probably the Zamioculus is ZZ plant or, or the mother-in-law's tongue, the Sansevieria. Um, what was the first one? What was the... Uh, um, the um, the Zamioculus, the ZZ plant, it's called a ZZ plant. Oh, I never heard of that one. Yeah. Uh, it has a very beautiful dark, dark green, really waxy texture, and it's very hardy and, uh, and, and survives in low light conditions and... Typically, you know, it just looks good all the time. It's a it's a great plant, um, and of course, we talked about the mother in law's tongue. Mm-hmm. And what's the hardest one that people who don't have a green thumb or a green index finger should stay yeah. away from? Yeah, probably any of the Ming Aurelia, any of the Aurelia family, um, because they're very delicate. They're very subject to, uh, I mean, very finicky, rather. Um, so little, you know, the watering is just not quite right. Um, you know, they'll defoliate pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. What about succulents? Like I was going to talk to you before about jade plant. You know, Mm -hmm. some people say, well, this plant is a hundred years old. This one is 50 years old. Well, you had to do something right to get a plant to live that long. So does it take a lot of uh, care? Well, the beauty about succulents is that they store their own moisture and they'll go a very long time, um, between waterings. Most people like, uh, again, most people overwater their succulents. They, you know, they think they need more than what the, you know, they, most people just can't believe how long certain plants will go without water. They just don't buy it. They do, it, it you know, they think they have to water every day, which is certainly not true. That's a good way um, to kill your cactus. It, it's a very good way to kill your cactus um, or your succulents for that matter. So I would say, um, the longer the I, I I've done it long enough. I can typically look at a succulent and tell you if it needs water most of the time because the skin uh, is wrinkly, so you can actually see the you can actually see the the foliage kind of contract on itself. Is that like get, people get, when they get wrinkled, yeah, they need more exactly water? Exactly like it's right? exactly <laughs> like people. Well, yeah, except the the plants theirs is from loss of, of moisture. Ours is from age. Oh. <laughs> Okay. All right. So, and going back to the cactus or a succulent, is it true that their um, potting soil should have a lot of sand in it? Uh, they yes, that you like a really good airy draining, a really good soil, soil that would drain really well. And uh, there's some cactus mixes. I think probably they're a little better that have you know sand and vermiculite in them. 
Um, so yes, that's, uh, I, but, it, but typically when you're buying these succulents from the growers or from wherever where be nurseries, um, whoever's done the growing has already sort of pre-planned um, the, the soil, right. For the, for the, uh, for the health of the plant. Um, when we talked a little bit about that, about this off air is that um, about repotting. And so mm-hmm. most people repot when they repot these seconds or the plants, they do it way too soon. First of all, the very worst time to repot a plant is when it is not doing well. Most people see a plant is not doing well. The first thing they do is want to replant it. They replant it, it shocks it further, and then they they lose the plant. If you are going to replant uh, or repot a plant, do it when the plant is very healthy. Secondly to that is that um, plants, so the soil mass of a plant, these house plants, the purpose of it really is for structure and for nutrients. It really, if you if you take cuttings or clippings of a, uh, of a plant and put them in water, you'll see they'll root, they'll grow, the plant will grow. Um, but what, what happens is um, people replant, if the soil mass stays too wet, again, the roots will rot. I, I, I said that earlier, but people uh, are often replant plants too soon into a bigger soil mass that has to stay more, stay wetter rather, and you have more of a chance of the plant turning, you know, making a downturn. When a when a when a plant is root bound, when you water it, it's just taking the water. I mean, it's just and, and the rest is just flowing out. It's not there's no soil or, or organic material around the roots when a plant is really root bound to deteriorate or to create bacteria or to rot the roots. So I personally like plants to be really really root bound, um, just for that reason because I think there's fewer failures when it's when the when the when there's no uh, there's no bacteria eating the roots away from too much moisture. Mm-hmm. So you said plants uh, rooting in water. So I have a question for that. I had a huge nephitis, which I guess is mm-hmm. the arrow plant. Arrowhead, yes. Mm-hmm. The arrowhead plant. And so I did a lot of cuttings. I had probably 10 bottles. I I had them all in there. They were rooting like crazy. Why is it that plants, um, you can they can live in water for a long time. They don't get root rot, but when you put them in dirt... And you overwater, they get root rot. Why is that? It's because of the organic material in the soil. The organic material in the soil decomposes, and then creates and then the bacteria eats the roots or rots the roots. Oh, okay. And so, how long so it's strictly it's, it's strictly the you know the bacteria. So it's the dirt mm-hmm. or the potting soil. So how soil, long yeah. can a plant live in water? It's almost like hydroponics type of thing. Well. <laughs> That's a great question. I, I don't even you know. know. I'm not sure what the questions, Joe. <laughs> I'm not sure what the answer is. I will tell you this: in many of our living walls, we actually like the ones that are planted in um, in, in this it has this felt substrate. Uh, as I mentioned, we don't really need the soil for the plants to grow. But these, so what happens is we wash the roots. I'm sorry, wash the soil uh, off the roots and then plant the plant in the in the felt pocket on the wall and then the roots just grow into the felt. So the, so the felt is kept wet, right? So, and, or the water's flowing through the felt. So the, the roots are getting the moisture through the felt and then the roots attach into the felt. And that's all they're doing is that there's no, wow. so there's no the longer roots are any... growing into the felt material. Yes. Okay. Let's, yes. let's explain what is a living wall before we go forward. Okay. A living wall is um, basically a, a vertical planting. So if you see uh, 
you know, just take a wall and 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 we put these uh, uh, mechanics, I guess, on the wall, and we put the plants into the mechanics, and it has an irrigation system that cascades the water down through the wall um, and waters the plants uh, that way. So it's really just a vertical. If you think of a like a planted atrium. But it's a planted atrium, but vertical. Yeah, goes and, and you know what? We've all seen that. I hope people who are listening know what a living wall is because I have seen the most beautiful living walls a lot of times in office buildings and restaurants, not too many in the residential homes, but they're just a good focal point and a and an interesting way of having plants. Yeah. Yeah. It's very uh you know, fairly contemporary and uh, it's become very popular. Uh it's costly to do them and costly to maintain them, but um, but, you know, our clients find that the ones that use them, you know, have a specific, you know, purpose and reason for that. So, so if somebody, and I tell you, every time we talk, I get more and more questions. I'm just rolling <laughs> along. So we just have to do this more often. <laughs> well, we will. I'm going to talk to you about that. Okay. So we have a living wall. Maybe it's not huge. Let's start out with, uh, maybe a three by three, just to make sure mm -hmm. three by three feet by three feet. You have the felt. Now, when you water it, do you water from the top so that the water runs through the felt and then it goes on the floor? What happens? So, there? um, those, those are great questions. So most living walls have an integrated irrigation system. So in a, in a situation where with a felt wall, like the one we're talking about, there's a, a irrigation line that goes across the top of the felt. And when the irrigation comes on, it just it cascades down through the felt to the to the base. There's and a, a, with that type of system, there's always a, ba a catch basin and an overflow drain. So, so typically we you know, we work with the homeowners or with the contractors ahead of time, helping them specify where to put the drainage, where to put the water, where to put the timers, all those sorts of things. Yeah, so it's so not it's just more, something, it's not, yeah. yeah, you can go, okay, go to Home Depot and I want to get some plants, stick it in a, in a frame yep. and then water it. You got to plan ahead. Where's the water going to come from and where's right. it going to go? And, and on, a, on the smaller scale living walls, they're typically hand watered, which means oh. that, you know, the uh, technician or a homeowner can just can water it in place. And and most of those smaller ones also have a self-contained reservoir. So there's no excess water uh, flowing out, you know, out of the living wall. But again, the whoever's maintaining it is controlling how much water is going into the wall. So it would never it's not like there's a valve turned on that's going to run 24 hours a day. Okay, so for somebody who wants to experiment like me, mm -hmm. and we want to start with a small one, what are the best plants for a living wall for the beginner? Right. So I always, um, when we specify the walls, again, we're always, mo more times than not, we're talking about tropical plants. We don't use succulents typically in living walls because they don't, they grow, they don't seem to grow in properly to, to get the right look. Don't you think they're um, too stiff? Yeah. They're a bit stiff and they're not full enough going in. Mm. So, you, I mean, because when you want when you want the living wall to just, you know, cover all the substrate yeah. and everything that's planted into it. Um, so when I specify the design on the living walls, I usually, I, I try to stick within four to five different plant types. No more than that. If it gets any more than that, it gets to the, you know, the whole design starts growing together and it looks like a tropical forest, you know, which is okay if that's the look you want. But if you want any kind of design in a wall, I try to stick with, um, um, uh, you know, a lot of philodendrons, um, some, uh, uh, you know, lots of, you know, basically, you know, small tropical plants and, uh, 
aglaonemas or, or Did you put a spider uses. plant in there? Yeah, spider plants do very well. Spider plants like to go really, really dry. They're one of those plants that are very forgiving and, in fact, will not be very forgiving with too much water. So, so spider plants tend to do pretty well in living walls. Yeah. Okay, so the less water you give a spider plant, the more it's going to sprout babies. Yeah. Good, yeah. good. I'm glad I haven't forgotten a lot about what I used to do when I, when I had a lot of plants. That one time I had 50 plants. And you can just guess. It took a lot of my time, but it was very enjoyable. I don't yeah. find that enjoyment in Arizona because everything seems to be getting crispy. Yes, it does. It's very right? crispy. So let's talk about Studio 41. Their showrooms are gorgeous. They have 11 in, in the uh, Illinois area. Uh, I should say Chicago area, but they're all through Illinois, and they have one in Scottsdale. That's my go-to for all of my plumbing supplies, all of my cabinet hardware, cabinetry, you name it, they have it. Most beautiful showroom in Arizona. If you live near there, or if you live in Illinois, you can go visit their showroom, and you'll see what I'm talking about. They are a Kohler showroom, and if you don't live in Arizona, where you're not experiencing this 100-plus weather... <laughs> And if you don't live in Illinois, you can always go on their website, shopstudio41.com, see what they have, and you can shop online. And that's shopstudio41.com. Okay, so I've got I've got time for one more question. You ready? Yep. Joe, you've been a real trooper with all my questions. Okay, so not that we have that problem in Arizona, sort of, but if you have outdoor plants and you're living in the colder weather and you want to bring them in before the snow, what should you do so that they survive in your house and grow so that in the spring you can do that in reverse? So... First of all, I've never lived in the snow, so I don't I have I don't have that personal experience. But what I do know is that uh, if you want a plant to survive in the cold, you ha in in those areas you have to bring it in in the winter. So I, so uh, so I would say bring them into a, the the highest light room if, if, that you can. If you have a solarium room, or if you have a, a you know a windowed room, or an atrium, or something. Um, to you know, to bring it inside like that. I, I do. I still think that there's going to be some, probably some shocking going on and some transition going going on, um, doing that. But but the alternative is to leave it outside and it will freeze and that'll be it, <laughs> right? Assuming it's in the cold. Yeah, that's true. And depending on the plant, uh, well, it's got to be a certain plant, and then they will come back. I, there mm -hmm. are plants that um, will survive when they're covered with snow, and then the spring comes, and then they look beautiful. There's not mm -hmm. that many. Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of coleus and of course they're going to freeze to death. So I used to just cut them down, um, root them inside and then in the spring, grow them, again, uh, plant them again. Yeah. A lot of work, but you know, if you're a plant person, you really enjoy this. It could be a hobby. Yeah, no, it's a great hobby. I mean, we've seen, I mean, with the advent uh, or uh, with the with COVID, I mean, we have seen so many people just now take up gardening and take up planting and take up house, you know, uh, house plant care. And I mean, it's just it's really become kind of. You remember how popular it was in the fifties? I think it's you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like that. It's like people just are really drawn. Uh, I think naturally, so I think it's a pretty innate that we do this, but are drawn to plants and nature. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's that, also very you know, calming. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so does it help to talk to your plants? Um, 
I think so. I think uh, does it benefit the plants? I don't know, but does it benefit you? Does it benefit our connection with nature? Absolutely. And I, yeah. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> and if they talk back, run the other way. Right? <laughs> yep. Joe, this has been great. You are going to come back before the holiday so we can talk about holiday plants. Is that okay? Okay. All right. Good, yeah. good. Um, I hope everybody enjoyed today's show. And please subscribe on the platform that you're using to listen to these podcasts. And don't forget to share them with your friends. We have so much information on these podcasts. I keep saying they're more of an educational tool. So share them. You never know who's going to get a lot of information that they can use out of them. And if you want to learn more about me, you can go to my website, nancyhugo.com. And if you have any questions for me or for Joe on plants or anything else, you can certainly email me at nancy at nancyhugo.com. Joe, thanks again for joining me. Can't wait for the next session of How to Make My Plants Grow. Thank you so much, Nancy. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Hey, everybody, stay safe. Have a great day. Bye now. Bye, Joe. Bye, Nancy.